Hello and welcome to Fats on Film. I am your host Hannah Ogilvy, and this is the podcast where we discuss all things fat representation in film, TV and wider media. And this week I have freelance journalist who's contributed to Ghouls Magazine, Moving Pictures Film Club and Film Hounds. It's Becky Says. Hello Becky! Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on. How are you doing? How's your weekend going? I'm good, yeah. Quiet, quiet this weekend. The weather's been absolutely terrible here. So <laughs> just boring oh. stuff on the house. Yeah, we, we've we had it bad, but yesterday was dry. And at the moment, it's sunny. So I'm going to take it. But we, um, I, I mean, I guess it's been a perfect week to go to the cinema. You know, there is so much on and it has yeah. been respite from the horrendous weather. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been perfect conditions, hasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Have you have you managed to um, Barbenheimer yet? I have. I've barbened and I've heimered. We had a great oh. week. Really, really enjoyed it. We're going again to see Barbie because we've got to take our eldest to see it because she's not stopped asking about watching it, which I have absolutely no problem oh. in seeing it again. Oh, my God. No, I mean, absolutely. I saw it. I think last so Monday or Tuesday, and then um, my friend was like, "Oh, can we go to cinema this weekend?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll I'll be up for seeing Barbie again." And then I I saw it Barbie, and it broke me. Like I actually went into like a proper like bit of a depression afterwards. And I don't mean to make light of that word, but um, the existential dread was really real after that. Um, The Billie Eilish song, I genuinely think she won all the awards. I think it's phenomenal. And um, so then, so then my friend's like, oh, well, let's go watch Oppenheimer instead. And I was like, sure. I mean, I do, it's not really the vibe I thought we'd have for like a girl's night. But then I, I actually watched it last night and I absolutely loved it. So I, good. It's so good. And I'm I'm not a Nolan girly through and through. Like, obviously, I've watched all of his stuff because, if you know, if you're into film, you kind of have to. But that was my favourite Nolan. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, it's fantastic. The last 20 minutes alone, I think, is worth seeing the entire film. Yeah, so it's funny. It, yeah, exactly. And the score by Ludwig is yeah. just, I mean, at the very beginning when it starts going, I was like, oh, this is just, just going to be epic. And it was just brilliant. And I loved everything about it. No complaints. And I hate a three-hour film. I will be the last person yeah. asking. But that film, I felt needed the three hours to actually tell the story it had. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those. Like, I agree. As soon as I saw it was three hours, I thought, oh, God, I'm not going to go and see this in the cinemas because I will not be able to sit through it. And then I'm not going to know when to get up. But I did find that the three hours went so quickly. Right. And like, when have you ever said that before? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, if the listeners, I mean, by the time this comes out, hopefully most people have Barbenheimed if they can, if they can do so. But if not, you gotta go. You, the cinema. I mean, I'm I'm such a cinema fan. I'm sure you are, Becky. And to see these films in sold yeah. out theaters, to go in and see the screen, it says sold out on multiple films. I'm just like oh, this. This I haven't seen this since like Avatar days. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. It's like cinema. The event of cinema sort of thing it's not just like oh a film coming out of the cinema or maybe we'll go on like when it's two for tuesday or something like that it's people really marking it out in their diaries and they're going especially to see barbie when people are so dressed up it's so exciting honestly it warms warms (laughs) my soul and and yeah the fact that people have gone like saturday night let's go to the cinema like that i haven't heard those free that phrase in such a long time because saturday night is that's prime time like that is like a date night that's like you're gonna go out for dinner that's cinema hasn't really come part of that for a long time 
And because for me, like cinema would be like something I do by myself in the week. And then maybe I go on like a Sunday, like in the day, if I've got nothing else going on. But for it to be a Saturday night event, like you say, event cinema, I really hope this is a, a change that once once Hollywood decides that they need to pay their people, they could actually ride this wave. So support the strikes. Yeah, support absolutely. The strikes. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, we are not here to talk about Barbenheimer, Becky. <laughs> we are here to talk about... I mean, I could, I could. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I was thinking that with... Um, with some of the characters in Oppenheimer, I was like, "Oh, these are bigger characters. Maybe I could do. Maybe I could do an episode of Oppenheimer." Barbie um, as well. Barbie as well. There's uh, a lot but, of isn't there about the representation in Barbie? Sharon Rooney. As soon as I saw Sharon Rooney and Barbie, I tears in my eyes. Absolute tears yeah. in my eyes. She was phenomenal. I need her wardrobe. Oh my god, I just loved it. I can't. I, yeah. But this is not the podcast. This is not the podcast. I'm going to get distracted again. No, 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 Becky. So we are here to talk about the Showtime show, Yellow Jackets. Yes. So Yellow Jackets came out. When did it come out? It was 2021. I mean, I don't know what time is anymore. So I'm like, it came out last year. No, it was a few years ago now. So Yellow Jackets is an American thriller drama television series created by Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson. And it stars an ensemble cast. So you have kind of like in the the teenage cast, you've got Sophie Nilis, I think. I uh, apologize if I said that name wrong. Jasmine Savoy Brown, Sophie Thatcher, Samantha Hanratty, and Liv Hewson and Courtney Eaton as a group of teenagers involved in a plane crash in 1996. And then you have their adult counterparts in like present day, played by Melanie Linsky, Tony Cypress, Juliet Lewis, Christina Ritchie, Lauren Ambrose, and Simone Kessel. So the series premiered on Showtime on November 14th, 2021, and it has received critical acclaim, particularly for the story and the performance of the cast, and it includes seven Primetime Emmy Award nominations, including Outstanding Drama Series and Outstanding, um, and, sorry, and Acting nominations for Melanie Linsky and Christina Ritchie. So I'm going to pass over to you. Could you give us, if you can, Becky, a synopsis of what's happened so far in Yellow Jacket, season one and season two, and for the audience, spoilers. We will be talking about season two. Uh, So if you haven't seen it yet, please seek it out because it is insanely brilliant. Yeah, so basically we start season one with the Yellow Jackets football team and their training and play matches towards going to I think it's nationals they're going to mm-hmm. and so they win their match they've got getting ready to go over to nationals just before they go there is a little party we sort of introduce the characters they're sort of dynamic and lots of lo- lovely moments between the team showing that they are a real real little sisterhood but then that is tested when obviously they get on the plane to go to nationals which crashes in the Alaskan wilderness and they're forced to survive alongside their coach and is it, oh, is it their coach? Yeah, yeah, Coach Ben. Yeah, alongside their coach and alongside their other coach's so, two sons. Mm-hmm. They're forced to survive in the wilderness. And then we sort of switch back to the present day, which we do in season one and in season two, to see the four core group of the survivors, which is Shauna, Nat, uh, Thaisa and Missy. We see them as adults, so we know well, obviously they've survived the wilderness mm-hmm. and we know that they were there for 18 months. And then we sort of see how their survival in the wilderness affected them now as adults. So as adults, we see Shauna sort of struggling through an unhappy marriage, boredom, sort of dealing with the trauma, but also sort of seeking the excitement of everything she went through. Then we see Thaisa, who's running a political race to be their local, like sort of M- MP, 
mm-hmm. what that would be in America. And again, also struggling with mental health issues that we sort of saw glimpses of in season one and season two. We're still yet to sort of find out what like the basis of that is. And then we see Nat, who was obviously very, very sort of, oh, I don't know how to word it, sort of very methodical when she was in the wilderness. Then we see her now as an adult struggling with addiction issues and struggling with the death of her partner, who we do see again, Travis, when he's a teenager. And then we've got Missy as well, who's still still sort of struggling with the same issues, bless her, with feeling left out, disenfranchised and not sort of knowing her place. So we swap between the two throughout the two seasons. And it's also all sort of leading towards what happened in the wilderness and around a strange symbol that they keep seeing on the trees and the woods and sort of delving between what that is, who that might be and how it's affecting like the key, the key cast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this show does not shy away. Right. So the very first scene of episode one, season one yeah. is the, the pit girl scene where you see, uh, Figures cloaked in animal skins hunting a um a young girl, a teenage girl through, like you say, the like wilderness, the snowy wilderness. Wilderness. She's only in like a in a nighty, and she has this gold chain around her neck, and she's being chased. And you hear like these like echoes of like shouting and like almost like bird calls, right? Animal sounds, and then she falls into a trap where they've put like you know spears up um to impale her, and then. Uh, they drain her blood. It's very important. You don't see any of the hooded figures. We don't know who these people are. Yeah. Apart from Misty, we see Misty, and we see that they're all kind of in a in a in a circle, and they're all feasting on 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 this on this person. So we we know straight away cannibalism, and it is one of those things where like you know you've heard these stories right of people getting trapped in the wilderness or plane crashes in the wilderness and they've had to resort to um eating <laughs> eating their friends to yeah. survive so again it's it's playing on all that like pop culture knowledge that we know that this unfortunately does happen or can happen and so yeah that's like we know cannibals is going to happen in this story we know these teenage girls are going to have to resort to it to survive and then we get the the i won't say flash forward but i guess it is a flash forward to modern day where we see these adult women who are in their 40s um, and like you said they're some of them are thriving and some of them are struggling and we are and we're going to follow them how how they're still connected all these years later and one of the things that keeps coming back especially in season one I feel is this idea that they have never told anyone what happened in the wilderness and uh, and for, for I guess like for shame will they be judged and I've seen this a lot. I don't know if you uh, frequent, Becky, the Yellow Jacket subreddit. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said that because I love it. Uh, but that comes up a lot in that subreddit where people people ask, "Well, why why do they why do they want to shield from the world what they did?" Because most people would understand. I mean, yeah, it'd be a bit grossed out, and people are going to think it anyway. So why not just say, "Oh, this is what happened"? And it, I think most people have come to the conclusion it's because it's so much worse than that, right? It has to be so yeah. much worse. What they have done, and what we'll find out in seasons to come, hopefully, is what they did in the woods is so much worse than just eat people. I mean, it's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, that's the first thing I thought from seeing it. Because I do think something that's interesting with Yellow Jackets, especially in the mm. first season, because obviously we don't 
see any cannibalism until the no. second season and yeah. the moment from the first scene i thought oh yeah definitely cannibalism but then as mm. it goes on i did sort of think oh, is it cannibalism <laughs> because they're not they're not giving anything away so i thought well no. maybe it's something completely different and you do see it and you think well like you say like it, it's sort of obvious that's going to happen for them to survive like they've got to yeah. go through the winter there it's winter in alaska they're not going to be able to hunt anything they're teenage girls like they've not got hunting experience no. they're not they've not got the capability to go like miles and miles out to hunt animals they're definitely going to have eaten someone and yeah. also i thought as well when they do rescue them obviously we haven't seen how they're rescued yet or what no. happened but presumably someone comes and rescues them they're going to see that people are missing they're going to hunt the land. They're going to find these bones or whatever's left of these people. Surely they're going to know that someone's been eaten. Like li- Literally, like, I don't know why. And that's the thing. I don't know why they're hiding it. Because when in season one, we see a Thaisa, like you say, is running for some kind of governmental position. And her opposition runs uh, like a smear ad, like saying that she you knows she eats people because of her history being being part of the yellow jacket story and, and that's another really important thing is like these are like kind of infamous girls right even as they're adults yeah. people know of the story of the yellow jackets football team um that crashed in the wilderness and, and somehow survived so there's all these rumors that surround these women that they ate people that they did things in order to survive how come these people survived when obviously other people don't and we it we don't know how many survived yet we we know we know like our our core four, and now we also have um, Lottie, adult Lottie, and adult Van were introduced in season two. So that's six of them. We yeah. did have Travis, but he um, he has committed suicide in season one, um, and that's all we know. Like, we, are there any more survivors, or are they it? You know, and if they're it, like, how many went in? Like, I don't know, maybe like twenty, twenty young young kids went in and only like six come out that, that. I don't know it seems like new people keep popping up in both seasons <laughs> I'm not too sure I know. How I know I know but but let's let's go into like why we're talking about yellow jackets for this podcast so obviously hopefully the listeners can hear we love this show uh when when you started seeing the trailers for this one come out Becky like what were your feelings were you initially excited or did you wait to get some kind of feedback from people oh this is one you should check out before you jumped in yes I first heard about this like in a little group chat I'm in it was over sort of sort of like the pandemic type well tail end of the pandemic time like end of 2021 we were still in like a group chat telling each other what we'd been watching what we've been doing and one of my friends recommended it I'd not actually seen anything about it until mm-hmm. one of our friends said like oh I've been watching this I've watched it all in one day mm-hmm. like you need to watch it you'll really enjoy it and a couple of other people then watched it and said the same thing like oh well, you'll really really like this mm-hmm. and I was on maternity leave at the time so I sort of had time in between like rocking my baby so I thought right <laughs> I'll, I'll sit down and I'll watch this and I watched it and had exactly the same reaction. Watched the whole first season in one go and thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I really hope there are more seasons. Came back to the group chat and said the same thing. Like, oh, I've watched it. Love this. And mm-hmm. our original friend who'd said it said, well, you're going to be very happy that there is a second season coming. So as mm-hmm. soon as that came out, I was like, right, every single week watching it, the minute it came out. Yeah. It really, it, it is so good. <laughs> Obviously, we, you said, like, we are both fans of the series. There's something so different about it because obviously we've seen cannibalism before yeah. we've seen lost in the wilderness shows before like we've, yeah. we've seen lost literally yeah <laughs> it blends the two those two sort of elements and then I think coming from it from a female perspective as well of yes. being a teenage girl being an yes. adult woman it's mm-hmm. very easy to relate to the characters in it and relate to the position that they're in mm-hmm. 
Yeah, totally. I, I, I think probably similar to you where like I definitely saw it being advertised on like now TV and I was like oh okay um oh, oh, all right we'll see and then I started hearing people go like oh no you should check that out it's really interesting it's a really like and I know this is a show about cannibalism and getting lost in the woods but it's a fun show you'll like it and I was like oh okay and uh so similar to you I I think I might have come in maybe like seven episodes into season one that had aired so I binge those seven episodes and then I was on the timeline and I was like oh god the once a week thing um but yeah I I I just absolutely just consumed it like I was like ravenous just for more and more and more and so you go into the subreddit you hear you listen to the theories like I mean you can go there's a podcast um I don't even know who the hosts are I think they're just fans but they go into such level of detail about every single element of the episode so I was I was listening to that I mean there's so many articles about all the different fan theories and I just feel that buzz for a show hasn't you know, we're talking about cinema at the very beginning of this, like, but the buzz for the show hasn't existed like this for a long time because it's gone back to the weekly release. So when you've been, when you, you know, put something out on Netflix all at once, there's no chance for people to mull it over because they just watch the next episode and the next episode. But because if they're releasing it on like a weekly schedule, it gives us all like a week to go back onto subreddit, to listen to the podcast, to you know consume and digest and ruminate over every kind of detail there is and that makes it more exciting my only nervousness is there are so many good fan theories are the creators the showrunners the writers going to be able to match what the audience want to see you know like are they going to let them down yeah. I hope not and I at the moment I, I in no way feel let down with with the direction they're going at the moment so I, I have every faith uh, but yeah, it, like you say, like it, the fact that it's a group of girls, you know, because again, oh, there's such a stereotype, isn't there? The, the boys and men are so much more like in, in the wilderness and survival skills and all that. To, so to see these um, young girls who probably have never been in this situation before, you know, and I understand why they're like from New Jersey. I don't, I can't imagine as much wilderness in New Jersey and they're having to like fight amongst themselves to survive they have this like team dynamic going on already so you have Jackie who is the captain of the football team and she's like the most popular girl in school right and then she's thrown into the situation where all of a sudden she doesn't have as much social power anymore and so watching her kind of struggle with that is really fascinating to watch then you see other people kind of rise up to the occasion like misty who is she's you know first aid trained she also she knows what to do she she's obviously very quick on her feet and can assess a situation and react accordingly she's absolutely nuts but she's <laughs> she is good at the same time like she's good she's yeah. someone you'd want to have in this situation it's, again that nuance is fascinating and then, so then you have the male characters with Coach Ben. He he has his leg ap- amputated during the plane crash, so he's uh, like he's kind of like disadvantaged right from the beginning, and his kind of authority is questioned straight away. And then you have Travis and Javi, who are like the other coach's sons, and he passed away in the crash, who are really just like I don't know, they're grieving. And they're amongst people that they don't really know. They feel the odd ones out because they're the only boys and amongst all these teenage girls. And we should say, Becky, horny teenage girls. 
absolutely <laughs> and i like that is representation that absolutely <laughs> needs to be seen like i don't know about when you were growing up but i never saw that like it was almost like ridiculed no. if like a, if a if a teenage girl um showed any sexuality or showed any like inclination that they might masturbate and i was there going like but i do that but it was so shamed it was just so not shown and i thought i was the weird one like i was like overly horny and then i'm starting seeing yellow jackets come out and i'm like oh no like this is so normal (laughs) so normal yeah absolutely and i do like that it is something that is focused on like yeah they are in the wilderness they do reach a new normal it's not constant Mm -hmm. panic not constant fight or flight because it probably wouldn't be I mean I know I can't say oh it wouldn't be because I've not been in that situation but they're there for 18 months it's not going to be constant panicking or they'd be dead yeah well exactly it's going to be some form of normality and yeah they they need to they need normal they need structure like you could sit definitely I feel like uh, you've seen it more recently than I have but in season two I feel you see that kind of like they all have their own roles a lot more like you know they, they kind of got they start you know you've got a group of girls doing the laundry you've got a group of girls you know foraging looking at the fire like they've all kind of got these roles of responsibilities is it um oh is it Mari who's like the cook by the suit yeah like they all have these different roles that they've either been assigned or they've created for themselves to just kind of function and so then when things happen which causes like disruption to this new normal that you say that like, to this equilibrium that's when all hell breaks loose so like the hunger getting too much or um so I guess we should say it uh, we find out in season one that Shauna is pregnant because she's been sleeping with her best friend Jackie's boyfriend Jeff back in New Jersey and that's really interesting in itself isn't it because we talk about like horny teenage girls Jackie didn't want to lose her virginity to Jeff she didn't feel ready or she didn't feel like he was the one like you know put this virginity on the pedestal don't we where Shauna was like I'm down to clown let's get going and clearly obviously unsafe and she's now pregnant in the wilderness like you couldn't be in the worst position <laughs> absolutely I mean like I say I watched the first season when I was holding my baby oh my God, of course you were yes I could really uh, relate to how I mean it's terrifying I mean maybe not everyone feels the same way but it's terrifying anyway <laughs> like pregnancy yeah. having a baby all of it is overwhelming it's scary so then having the wilderness and being lost after a plane crash yeah and having none of that like safety blanket of like the hospital the doctors checks like you are just on your own like no one's telling you whether you're safe the baby's fine you're fine because I can imagine like I mean I guess they kind of go into it in season two but like if the baby something happens to the baby you know you know dies in utero or whatever that would be deadly to Shauna so she could also yep. lose her life like there's so many risks to Shauna what being pregnant in the wilderness and no one's coming to save them oh god Shauna she has my whole heart she really does <laughs> I think there was a part of that horror that really hit home as well with when it was released like with it being in the pandemic like I, mm. I was pregnant with my eldest in 2020 and then again with my youngest in 2022 and there was a really stark difference between pregnancy and the pandemic pregnancy now and I feel like a lot of the things that you just brought up like the lack of checks the being on her own a lot of that was very like I mean that was what pregnancy in the pandemic was like you were on your own a lot you couldn't go to appointments with a partner with anyone and appointments (gasps) were cut down midwife appointments were cut down so I think it was a lot more relatable 
when it aired for people to understand that sort of loneliness being in that position. I think it made what she must have been feeling really hit home. Fascinating point of view. That is a fast, that's something like that. Again, I don't have that experience, so I never made those parallels, but that is fascinating. That extra level of like, well, we're in the wilderness too. We're just not like in yeah. in the forest. We're we're in our homes, but we've got like none of that that support network that we're so accustomed to having was ripped out from under you. Oh, yeah. So like, so comparing if you don't mind, I'm I'm kind of going down the tangent yeah, now. Fine. Um, so comparing your your pregnancies, like when you were first pregnant, did you know what you should expect? And then when you got you pregnant second time, did you go, oh, this is what it should be. This is what normal pregnancy looks like in the 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were two very, very different experiences. And it should really be the opposite way around that you're experiencing. It may be normal the first time and then yeah. maybe things being slightly different the second time. It's a, it felt very, very weird to sort of have our first introduction to being parents as being in the pandemic mm. and sort of being on our own and, and with so many like you... even the systems that were in place oh sorry no no you you, you carry on please I was going to say, like, even the systems that were in place were severely cut back, obviously, because of COVID. They had to yeah. reassign staff constantly. So, say, we'd see one midwife one week who'd then be gone. Then it, it was a lot of sort of being, like you say, having that sort of support system and comfort blanket completely ripped out from mm-hmm. underneath you. And I do, I don't know whether it was an intentional thing in the Yellow Jackets that they sort of picked up on that, but I did think that representation of how Shauna was, because she was surrounded by girls that, obviously didn't really well I say obviously like teen pregnancy does happen but it is a rarity compared to like other pregnancies so she was around a lot of people that did not understand what she was going through who she couldn't talk to and who she didn't feel like she could anyway because of the situation she was in and it was very much sort of the culture around like antenatal appointments anyway of not being Mm. able to talk to people because you couldn't get hold of your midwives anyway Mm. or there were a lack of staff or you couldn't bring your partner to scans or to appointments or you had to wait for a certain amount of time in labor for them to be able to come and join you anyway so it was a very disenfranchising sort of experience and it was weird to see that on screen Mm -hmm. but sort of like in in the extreme that she's in the wilderness and she's stranded like it's an extreme experience but it's strange to be able to relate to that absolutely and that that I feel is credit to the writers right like that they've created this world these characters that and I I will go into the casting especially for the adults in a second but they've created these characters that just feel so normal like you know you knew these girls at school and you know yeah. these adults now are adults, right? And I know they're archetypes to a certain extent. Like Nat is such like an archetype, you know, the proper like outsider emo goth girl, yeah. you know, like but but you know, they've taken the archetype, you know, they've taken the archetype of like the popular, uh popular cool girl, you know, homecoming queen and Jackie, and then taken it like, you know, ten steps further and given them so much nuance and backstory and reasons for why they feel safe within those archetypes. And yeah, I think it's genius. But we've spoken a lot about the kids, the teens. Let's talk about the adults. So we have Melly Linsky playing Shauna, growing up Shauna. We've got uh Juliet Lewis playing growing up Natalie. Uh, Christina Ritchie playing grown up Misty, and then is it uh, Tony? Tony Cypress? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Tony Cypress playing Gwynnup Taisa. And I guess for this podcast, Becky, you want to talk about Yellow Jackets. And what was it about Yellow Jackets that you felt would be a good subject for Fats on Film? It, it's mostly, sort of, to me, the casting of Melanie Linsky in it mm-hmm. for for two reasons, really. When, like, for one, the character she plays in it, like, has Shauna. Obviously, she is one of, like, the larger characters within mm-hmm. the narrative. And it's fascinating to see her, in, in my opinion, anyway. She is one of the strongest leadership types, mm-hmm. both as an adult and a child in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating because normally we don't see that. It is normally that we see the fat representation as less capable and sort of yes. sidelined, definitely not as a romantic lead or a sexual lead, which we do see Shauna as. It's something that we don't really see. Mm-hmm. But then also on the other end of the spectrum, the fact that Melanie Linsky is placed as like sort of the plus size character And then she spoke about how she was treated behind the scenes. I'd read an interview before that she was fat shamed by one of the crew and her cast had to stand by her. And I just, Mm -hmm. I find that ludicrous that Mm -hmm. she was treated like that as a woman that really she's got an average sized body. It's how she's been othered in that situation. I think is so strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more because I, I, I put yellow jackets on, my content list because of Melanie Linsky. But I wanted to like preface this by saying Melanie Linsky truly is just a normal body size. And I think part of that, the reason why we think of her as bigger is because the rest of the cast is incredibly slender, you know, and, and then I'm not body shaming at all. I'm just comparatively, Juliette Lewis is, you know, very athletic body type. Christina Ritchie has always been incredibly slender. She's got that, like, you know, chiselled jawline, yeah. right? And then, um, ta- uh, oh God, really good, ta- uh, Tawny, because I, I want to see Thaisa. Like, no, that's the character's name, Tawny. Tawny is, again, very <laughs> slender, very athletic. And um, so I think compar- comparatively, Melanie absolutely has more meat on the bone than those slender character, um, slender actresses. But if you were to put Melly Linsky like in the real world, you wouldn't bat an eyelid to it because she just looks normal. And yet yeah, you mentioned how she was fat shamed um, by someone. She hasn't specified who it was, but some someone came up to her and said, uh, what do you plan to do? I'm sure the producers will get you a trainer. Absolutely. And, and this is this is Melanie Linsky talking to Rolling Stone, and then uh, she continues saying, "They'd love to help you with this. They'd love to help you with this. Like, what's this? Why does it need help? You know, I couldn't even say what this is. I think speaks volumes as well. Yeah. Like, if they meant that, it's not a dirty word. It's horrible what they're saying, but they can't even say it. Literally ridiculous. Yeah, because because they know it's wrong you know they know that they shouldn't be saying this um and then she says that the executive producer ashley lyle um reached out to her because like you said um so i think christina ritchie uh 
Juliette Lewis and Tony Cypress, they wrote a letter to yeah. the production team defending their colleague, their colleague and friend. Be like, this is ridiculous. And, you know, absolutely, like, their strength in numbers. And when we talk about fan representation, absolutely, you know, just put more people on screen. But act, we need straight-sized people or, you know, people in pr- more privileged bodies to also advocate for us. We can only go so far. You know, we need, we need allies. Allies are important. So uh, Melanie says that um, yeah, Ashley Lyle uh, sent her an email and it said how proud she was to create a show where there is a regular sized woman who is in the love triangle with two hot guys. She yeah. said that if she had seen something like this when she was a teenager, it would have changed the trajectory of her life. She said that they love me and they love the way I look. I mean, like... Ashley Lyle touches on there how important representation is. She needed to see a plus size, curvy girl woman be um, admired, be wanted, be aspirational. And so we again touched on that. Shauna, as a as a mother at this point, as an older woman, she uh, lusts for I guess the excitement that the wilderness provided her when she was a teen. And so she ends up having an affair in season one with this character. Like, there's like a, they have like a car accident, don't they? And yeah. this, guy, this guy, Adam, is the other driver. And he's this younger, I don't know, maybe in his like late 20s, early 30s. He's fit. I'm not going to, not going to take that away from him. He's an artist and he instantly likes Shauna. But what's interesting, I and mean, it's great. Love, love that this hot guy is into Shauna, but we are meant to be suspicious of why he's into Shauna. Like, is he a Yellow Jacket fan? Is he, like, trying to get dirt on Shauna about what they did in the wilderness? Like, we're meant to be suspicious of him. And I, as much as, like, I'm really happy she has this, like, really hot moment with him, they are playing into the fact that why is this hot guy into plus size? And I'm using commas here because, um, air quotes here, because... I think Melanie Linsky is like, she is like curvy, but I don't, I mean, I wouldn't want to put a number on her, but I wouldn't call her plus size personally, no. personally. She's just curvy. Um, but yeah, like we're meant to question, why is Adam into this curvy older woman? Because that, that doesn't seem right or it seems suspicious, I should say. No, yeah, I agree. And we don't have the same, like from rewatching it recently, we don't have the same sort of suspicion when it's Nat, when she starts dating Kevin Tan who is obviously one of the local policemen, who yes, is way more likely to be investigating than <laughs> as a policeman, as an investigator. We don't have the same sort of suspicion. Maybe it is because they know him already. They know who he is. He was already friends with Nat. Mm-hmm. But it's not sort of placed on the same sort of, like in the same sort of ballpark, which I thought was quite strange. Like, yeah, yeah it is unusual, a complete stranger showing interest after a car crash. It is unusual, but they should treat everyone with that suspicion. It is unfortunate that it is just Melanie Linsky's partner that is placed under that suspicion yeah exactly exactly as much as like I'm great I'm happy that you know we see Shauna have like an active sex life I actually on that when we first meet adult Shauna in season one she's masturbating with her daughter's vibrator in her daughter's bed yeah isn't that like i mean i if there's if there's any like a moment to be like oh she is messed up it's there like they don't they don't hold any punches with that that introductory scene 
yeah, it, I think it really shows the desperation she is to sort of feel that excitement again. Because I think it's certainly not a situation anyone would want to put themselves in. Yeah. Well, willingly, obviously, she does do it, but sort of at a choice of any other sort of sexual situation, I don't mm. think it's one that many people would want to put themselves in. So I think it is really effective of showing that she really is chasing that sort of excitement of her youth once again, like the youth that a daughter does have. Yeah. There's a real in her teenage years like she she didn't seem like she was really enjoying that excitement as a teenager like Mm -hmm. comparatively before we see her as the crash she is really very much in Jackie's shadow yeah very sort of not wanting to be her but also being fascinated by her at the same time and she Mm -hmm. doesn't really seem to come into her own unfortunately until she is stranded in the wilderness yeah yeah like I mean you know you hear a lot about how like traumatic events can make or break people uh people do credit traumatic events for who they are either either in a positive or a negative light and I think for Shauna that traumatic event does unlock something in her it unlocks this survival mode it unlocks this um you know she becomes the 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 camp's butcher she is the one with I don't know the I was going to say the stomach, the stomach for like, you know, cutting up the animals um, and then the people as we get to. And she, she, so she's incredibly valuable to, to the camp for that reason. And then to bring her back into uh, norm, normalty and she stays with Jeff. So Jackie's boyfriend, who she's been having, you know, who she's been cheating with, who's the, ba- the father of her baby in the wilderness when she comes back she's still with Jeff like 20 years later and there's this real sense for me like arrested development like she hasn't been able to grow out of being a teenager uh she so she's in a I mean it's not it's like a sexless marriage with Jeff isn't it and he's he's also a really fit guy you know we see him going to the gym a lot he obviously like you know exercises for fun and I think that's really important to see as well because like that's something I I keep coming back to on this podcast is like body diversity within relationships because a lot of media if you have a bigger person they often put them with a bigger partner or someone that's stereotypically not like um, conventionally attractive to kind of equate because to use some inflammatory language, the media is constantly telling us that fatness is ugly. So therefore, you're in like a certain league of partner or or uh, in the market for a partner. So therefore, they have to match you. But with Shauna and Jeff, um, you know, she's obviously a bigger person. He's a fitter guy. So one could argue in terms of like conventional attractiveness that he would be in a higher league than her. But that's not the case here and in season two their relationship gets stronger and stronger right and actually there is no book club like Jeff is an absolute brilliant husband towards the end of season one going into season two he is he absolutely understands that his wife went through something hella traumatic and he needs to be there for her no questions asked (laughs) yeah and he clearly adores her as well which I think is so lovely as well like it doesn't seem I think there was a danger with yellow jackets to show that they were just together just because of what they went through but it does very much seem that Jeff is with her because he loves her and he cares for her like how he defends her in front of Jackie's parents I was literally about to say like he clearly loves her and values her as a person rather than just the person he got lumped with because he got her pregnant or because his girlfriend died like it's a very loving relationship when it really couldn't have been 
Yeah, they really subvert expectations with with that character arc because, like you say, you kind of same with the other thing. You're meant to believe he's suspicious. Jeff doesn't actually love Shauna. We're you know we're led to believe that he's cheating on Shauna at the beginning, right? Like he yeah. she, he's seeing this. It's something to do with his business. He's got like a furniture business, right? And it's, it ends up being yeah. about that. But then Sean is the one who cheats. Sean is the one who seeks out that excitement. You know, the younger guy finding her hot. Um, but then her her paranoia about what she, what she and what her friends did in the wilderness gets the better of her. And she ends up murdering Adam. <laughs> it's very extreme like watching it back the first time i watched i thought yep that makes total sense <laughs> watching it back, i think mm, maybe she should have held fire a little bit like yeah over eating people that people probably expect that she already did yes <laughs> which means something jump. worse must have happened but yeah like it's such an extreme reaction and there is a sense again we see this more in season two as well shauna shauna likes to have people's lives in the palm of her hand you know we see her threaten that like um what's the word pound like the the car lock up place oh god what is the word for that it's mechanics aren't they mechanics mechanics are they they're um they've taken her car they've stolen her car impound yeah I don't know what the word is called. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, all words have escaped me. So yeah, so she threatens the guy who has like who's you know taken her car with a gun to his head. And I honestly, Becky thought she was going to pull the trigger. I was like, she's yeah, she is going to do it. Um, but she doesn't. She manages to find some kind of restraint. But Jeff notices, like you know, she's she's you know doesn't mind people pointing guns at her. She's willing to like fight fight and lose her life like, and she wants that excitement she wants that thrill and she starts saying the wilderness is coming back i can feel it when you've got the other adult characters also going through their own dark shit so uh Thaisa is sleepwalking again which is something we see younger Thaisa do in the wilderness it's like this shadow Thaisa where she doesn't she's here but it's someone else and it's a very dark entity seems to take over uh, you've got Nat who um, struggled. She was going to kill herself at the end of season one, right? Before yeah. Lottie's therapy slash cult people <laughs> um, save her. Um, you know, I say save her, but they also kidnap her. You know, they kidnap her and take her back to Lottie's retreat, which again is in the wilderness. So that Lottie, babe, you gotta get away from the fucking wilderness. Like this is not good. But she, but then Lottie starts to like have the visions again, and you see all this is like coming back. Like the wilderness, the wilderness wants a sacrifice. And I think for going from season one, there was a big question on the subreddit of like who is part of like the Antler Queen cult. Yeah. And then going into season two, you realize oh they're all part of it. It's not like. I remember there being thinking like, oh, uh, Nat and Misty and Shauna, they would never be, they are not part of it. They're, they're too good. And then when we go to season two, we're like, oh no, they're like 100% part of it. Yeah, they very much seem splintered in like the first season of sort of like the good girls and yeah. the girls sort of going towards the sort of like more yeah. spiritual practices and cult practices. Whereas in season two, it's one and of the same. Yeah. Like, and it even seems like Lottie's pulling back a little bit in season two. Like, oh, God, these girls are going feral. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because 
in way over her head. Yeah, 100%. It's very interesting. Going towards the end of season two, yeah, Lottie looks to be like the one who's like, no, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not going this far. We're not going to actually, you know, start killing people again. And it's Van. So we meet adult Van in season two, played by Lauren Ambrose. And we find she's got terminal cancer. And Shadow Taisa has told, I guess, Waking Taisa, you've got to go to her. You've got, like, meaning Van. So she finds Van in, like, this really quaint video rental shop. And and we find that she's got cancer. And they're like, oh, well, let's go see Lottie, because that's where everyone else is going. And Nat's already there. Uh, Sean is making her way there. Uh, Misty's trying to get there with Elijah Wood. Oh, we've got Elijah Wood in season two. You know, like, bring him along for the ride. Again, another, another, like, MVP. I really like how the male partners in this show support their women. They support them through and through. No questions asked at all. He really does go above and beyond for the group. And he's known Misty, like, what, a week or so? A couple of he, weeks. He kills Kevin like that. No <laughs> questions. Not even a bat in an eyelid. I was like, oh. Okay, I mean, I don't think Kevin deserved to die, but I understand why he had to go. He knew too much. <laughs> but yeah, so you get them all kind of culminating it at the at the retreat, and then also Van is the one who's pushing for the sacrifice, and they believe that if they like sacrifice one of one of their group, then the wilderness will be happy, satisfied, and then something will happen right something it will grant them something and again i've seen on the subreddit that they think going into season three van's cancer will be cured and it will prove the kind of supernatural link because that's another big question right like is this supernatural is this just like you know kind of like folio do of like 24 girls or however many girls there are like is it like what what is it that is that is happening in the wilderness that's causing ramifications in their adult life um yeah and at the end of the season two you've got you've got uh, uh shauna is the one who picks the queen because we see that replicated in the end of season two with the with the teen girls right is that they yeah. decide that they're gonna have to eat one of them they're gonna have to eat one of them because they're gonna die and nat is the one who pulls that queen card <gasps> i tell you now when nat pulled that card i was like this doesn't make any sense what's gonna happen what's gonna happen like, yeah, even though I've seen her as an adult, I was still like, oh no. I was like, baby, you've got to, how, are you, how are you going to get out of this? this is, and they are feral, aren't they? Like chasing after it's her. scary. Like even though they're teenage girls and it's, you know, not real, you still sit there like, oh my God. Like, it's hard, yeah. hard to watch some of it because it really is uncomfortable how they're acting. I think the real testament to the young actors. Oh, they're the phenomenal. They are fantastic. Phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah, terrifying. And then, of course, poor Javi is the one who ends up dying. <laughs> and I'm like, that was brutal. And I was like, oh, God, sorry, I'm just, I'm just having flashbacks to everything that happens after Javi dies. And it's like, but it's brutal. You see that these girls, I mean, I see they're girls, but they're like, they're like older than that. They've had to grow up so quickly to the fact that yeah. they're like having to like murder their own group just to survive. Um, and they do it in such ways, which is like they apply so much ritual and it almost feels like religious. And I, you know, like a religious experience for them, like, you know, almost like having it be like the wilderness decides. So to remove any of their own guilt over choice, like it's fate. And then they, you know, adorn the necklace 
the necklace that they tie onto Nat's neck and then they chase her. I mean, I know they weren't going to chase her. I think Shauna was meant to slit her throat, right? But she's the one. Oh, no, Travis. Travis helps. Yeah. Uh, and again, another man. Another man supporting our girls. I love to see it. But I've gone off I've gone off tangent because I was talking about Shauna and Melanie Lindsay's casting of Shauna. So we mentioned how she's obviously a curvier girl. We mentioned how she's really capable, both teen Shauna and adult Shauna. But she has this really complex relationship with her daughter Callie as adult Shauna. Like as as a mother and you know, as a as a as a new mother as you were watching Yellow Jackets, how did you feel? watching their mother-daughter dynamic i thought again like the sort of strained relationship i thought was another element of how uncomfortable yellow jackets can be because i think a lot of what sean is going through the trauma that she is going through means that she's not a very present mother Mm. and we sort of see that from the fact that we don't really know much about a daughter all we see her being in season one really is resentful towards her mother yeah but it very much seems that it is because her mum and dad just aren't there like physically they are but mentally they are somewhere else they don't really know what their daughter's doing they mention it a few times like where Mm. she's where is she or she's like with such and such or with her friends or she's not there Mm -hmm. whereas in season two they do sort of bond again like it's sort of presented positively that they're sort of more together and sort of banding together they're realizing who they are how they can connect but it's over her mom murdering her affair partner (laughs) so it's sort of awful parenting but sort of <laughs> yeah. also the juxtaposition of that is how it's sort of represented as a positive thing that they are sort of connecting. I think it's another part of the horror that is Yellow Jackets, the sort of bonding over trauma to overcome. Yeah, 100%. And and that the scene where uh, Kevin and his awful, awful partner are interrogating Callie. So he like the partner like seduces Callie. Now like she's like a minor. She's 17 years old. This is so illegal on so many levels. And I was like, that that guy, I need him to get his comeuppance. (laughs) Like I really do. I need I need Elijah Wood's character to do something there. (laughs) Like, please. Um but you mentioned the trauma bonding. And I think that is the main theme of this show is the trauma bonding and i read this really interesting subreddit and i apologize to the user as i cannot credit them because i didn't take their name down but they mentioned how so at the end of season two uh the adults are going to make a sacrifice to placate the wilderness and shauna is the one who pulls the queen card so they're all going to brutally murder shauna and shauna runs away uh and callie is the one who manages to, you know, kind of confront them and stop them. The 17-year-old is able to, like, confront them with their, like, kind of, like, their, like, shared madness. Yeah. And Lottie says she is so powerful. And this Reddit user said, Callie is also a child of the wilderness because as much as her brother died during childbirth in the wilderness as we find out in season two she is then you know she, of course she was like conceived and born when shauna gets back to uh, i don't know civilization but because like you said her mom has so much trauma she's obviously quite a removed parent quite cold not not being that kind of nurturing mother that we that we pressurize women to be at all times 
because of all those things, Callie has become like a product of Shauna's trauma from her time Absolutely. in the wilderness. And maybe the reason why she's so powerful is because of those reasons. Like, and again, I don't know what Lottie means by powerful, and hopefully that will become something we explore in, in the next in the next few seasons. But I think that theory or that like explanation just seems so smart because it's not it's not supernatural it's it's mental health yeah i think it's interesting as well that she was sort of bought into the group by the fact that she knows what's going on with adam she's been a Mm -hmm. big part of that and she's now being brought into the investigation it's sort of passing down that sort of generational trauma almost like definitely it's like passing down what shauna went through to Mm -hmm. her daughter not in Mm -hmm. exact sense obviously she's not also stranded in the wilderness but she is passing down something traumatic that she's Mm -hmm. gone through yeah and then we have that scene where like jeff explains to callie what shauna went through with with the stillbirth um of 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 her son of her first son in, in the wilderness and Jeff, oh, he is so kind in this moment, you know. So I think, if I remember rightly, Becky, that scene starts off with Callie almost like slagging her mum off. You know, yeah. she's not she's not kind to Shauna, and Jeff is like, no, 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 you need to, you know, pump your brakes. Your mum's been through so much. And she goes, oh yeah, no, I know everything that happened. Well, I was like, no, you don't. No, you yeah. don't. Let me explain. And again, I, the actor who plays Jeff, I do you know what his name is? Uh, Warren something Warren Cole Cone something like that. Yeah, I should have I should have googled it before. But he is phenomenal in that scene. He is so um, gentle yet firm. You know, that's his yeah. daughter. He's ha- like it's Jeff is in such an interesting position where he's like, you know, I've got to like support my wife through and through. I appreciate everything she's gone through. You know, love, but also like trying to be there for his daughter and protect her from the shit that his wife is bringing to their door yeah. like there's that that really funny moment where she's like i i've told i've told callie everything he's like you what <laughs> you know and yeah, she, we're gonna go to the police station she's like what <laughs> it's just like this is the worst possible plan but like he also feels like he can't you know it's the, the the wheels are already in motion all i can do is support i can't stop this train we're on I just need to jump on it and support where I can. Yeah. Uh, so the other things I want to talk about with Melanie Linsky, what was your relationship to her before Yellow Jackets? So I'd not seen her in too much, to be fair. I'd seen her in like Clarity Ugly and then of course. very recently seen her in The Last of Us, but I'd not actually seen her in too much beforehand. Right. And then it seems like she just sort of exploded onto all sorts of things recently seemingly from yellow jackets yeah and i've sort of fell in love with her as an actress since like, i love how she tackled playing shauna mm. i read um like i think it was the same interview that she'd done with rolling stone or i think it mm-hmm. might have been a separate one where she talked about how she played shauna and the fact that she wanted it to be such an important thing that she doesn't speak about her body and talk about how she looks or yes. regret how she looks or thinks oh i don't look good in this or oh, i don't want to look like this or oh, i want to change this and that it's mm-hmm. not part of her character mm-hmm. i thought that's fantastic because we don't see that between like i as like plus size characters or more curvy characters but also as a mother, you don't see that. It's always the because obviously Melanie Linsky's a mother and Sean is a mother in Yellow mm-hmm. Jackets. We don't see that often. The oh, it doesn't matter of getting back to pre mom bod. 
And it's nice that that's not a thing in Yellow Jackets. It's not commented on with any of the characters, despite it being a predominantly female cast. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I read that same article, and she is um, spot on. You know, there's uh, we both know, and our listeners will know, the pressure as a woman to constantly fit the beauty standard is it's unreal. It's unreal. It's constantly affronted to us every every step of our lives. If it's not by the media, it's in real life. You know, yeah. like you know walking on a beach in a bikini you're nervous if someone's going to say something being a bigger person myself i have have i have been openly heckled right by just arseholes just arseholes just on the street it's horrible because of how i look with melanie's uh desire commitment determination to ensure that she is a normal size a regular size um and you know, not like you say, uh, trying to get that, you know, pre-mum bod, like almost like, like, I don't know if this is, again, you can please challenge me because you're actually a mother. But this idea of like becoming pre-mum bod, you know, like going, you know, snap back to what you were before you're having a child, almost erases the experience you've had growing Absolutely. a child. And there's, there's more important things after you've had a child. Like there yeah. is a whole baby you've got to focus on first. You don't, really get that time to focus on yourself and it's almost like a, a blame game to some mm. people like oh like oh you know you need to do this or oh have you thought about doing this or oh have you gone back to the gym or and it's just it's ridiculous it's putting so much more pressure on women to look and be a certain way when you've had such a life-changing experience yeah that yeah should be at the forefront of people's minds asking about that rather than asking about Oh, have you started dieting or what are you eating? Are you watching what you're eating? Are you exercising? Or have you gone back to the gym? Like, no. <laughs> no, you've got you, it, like priorities, you know? And, and and that to me, as you were as you were saying, all I kept on thinking was that that um, rhetoric we always hear was that, you know, women can't have it all. Like they are like trying to make you choose, right? Between, you know, having a quote unquote beauty standard body and then being like a mother and it's like you know if you so for example if you say you went and put your you know had a babysitter or had your mum come around to look after your child while you went to the gym imagine the comments you would get absolutely you're neglecting your child what is the is the gym more important than raising your child you cannot win becky absolutely and they do mention this in yellow jackets as well when she has um the dinner with Jackie's parents Jackie's mom makes a comment like that Nicole well you can't have it all you can't work and be a mom and be this and be that you've got to be I think she says you can't be extraordinary in everything trying to talk about Jackie well Jackie was a teenage girl when she died she wasn't an adult she hadn't gone through these things that Shauna has gone through it's unfair to say that when comparing her to Jeff when you know we don't know too much about like Melanie Linsky's job and life and what has happened Mm. between the past and the present but it mm-hmm. seems very much that she has been at home with her daughter while Jeff is mm-hmm. running a business and she's supporting the home. That's not doing mm-hmm. nothing. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like opposed towards Jeff when Jeff is also a parent. Jeff yeah. is also, you know, <laughs> running that household. It's all put on Shauna's shoulders. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, 
Melanie Linsky's also spoken about really like openly about her own struggles with like disordered eating, which um, as someone who also has suffered from eating disorder, I always appreciate someone's vulnerability and honesty talking about that. Um, but she said it was to do with you know the media she was consuming. Uh, I think she's from is it New Plymouth, New Zealand, or is it just Plymouth, New Zealand? Let me just get it up. It's in Stylist magazine. Ba 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 ba. No, I'd read this as well. It was another thing that I thought was so shocking about what the crew member had said to her. Yeah. Like, what a horrible yeah, yeah. thing so it's, it's, And this is it. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking to the converted, I know. But, like, stop commenting on people's bodies. You have no idea what they've been through. Like, that crew member has no idea the history that Melanie Linsky's gone through with her own eating disorders, her own, like, body image like issues and he doesn't know he could have you know said that and triggered like a relapse exactly. you know he has no idea of, he has no idea of the damage he could cause so this is it it was very hard to get magazines in new plymouth but they would have international vogue and we would go there and rip out pages of the magazines of the skinniest most beautiful women they were all over my room i thought you were supposed to have a gap between your thighs i became obsessed with that her her boyfriend at the time, I think this is in the 90s, really helped her like kind of see what she was doing wasn't great. She goes, it changed my life. Uh, she stopped throwing up after meals. Um, it took a while, but that was a big one. I had for a very long time been on this diet that was basically 800 calories a day. And if I ate anything over 800 calories a day, I would throw up. I was never bingy, but sometimes I'd be starving and I'd have another teacup of Special K. Then I'd be like, well, now I've got to throw that up. And then she goes, it's amazing to be 45 years old in a size 12 body and be playing the sexiest, most interesting, most fun role of my entire life. I never thought it was going to get better, but it did. Just feels my heart. Oh, you know what? Like, that makes me emotional. Yeah, it's yeah. just so... A lovely thing to read and to see that, in my eyes, she is the most powerful character in Yellow Jackets. She really comes into her, yeah. especially in season two. Like She she Ugh. is the leader of the group. It's, it's just fantastic yeah. her to have that moment. Yeah. I, I, and I appreciate, like, you know, she said she was 45, so, you know, she's been on this on this roller coaster for, you know, however many years, being with, in, in Hollywood, trying to, you know, act, get roles. And she she has another interview where she talks about like how she was always offered like the funny fat friend, you know, dressed in dowdy clothes, and how she's like really actively choosing to not do that. And you can, again, like you mentioned, you hadn't seen her much before. I hadn't seen her much recently, so I think the last thing I probably saw her in was Perks of Being a Wallflower, and she is a molester in that. She's a child molester, and I think that's really interesting when we talk about fat sexuality it often falls into this perversion. And, and I, to be fair, I have no idea what body size she is in that film, but if I might be wrong on that, but if she is how she is in this film, maybe that falls into it. Anyway, and yeah, so I hadn't seen her in maybe like 10 years. And then she comes into this as just a powerhouse performance. And what's really interesting about Melanie Linsky's acting style is she is a softly spoken person. Yeah. And this played, yeah, right? And it played into, so she does that same softly spoken approach in The Last of Us. Did you watch The Last of Us? Yes, I love her in that as well. Fantastic. <laughs> I was so excited to see her. She is, again, very softly spoken, but she is, importantly, a leader. 
as she is in Yellow Jacket, she's a leader in The Last of Us. And for those who haven't seen The Last of Us, again, what you do, you gotta go watch that show. It's awesome. Um, but she is she's just overthrown the kind of uh, post-apocalyptic government uh, in uh, Kansas City. Is it Kansas City? I think they make it Kansas City in the because I played the game as well. I can't remember if it's Kansas City in the game or if it's something different in the show. Because I know they changed it. It doesn't matter. I'm not sure. <laughs> it 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 might. I just it really doesn't matter. Anyway, in a city, and uh, and she's so softly spoken, but she is so menacing. She like yeah. clearly doesn't take shit. And again, it's this, it's it's subverting expectations. You know, she's talking like a primary school teacher, very Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter, like this idea of like sickly sweet, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but will absolutely put a bullet in your head if you wrong her, which she literally does. <laughs> like, you know, she and she's like got a vendetta. She's you know she's trying to avenge her brother. She's putting all like the city rebel resources into into finding the person who sold out her brother. And you know she's one track mind. And people, I saw so much criticism of this character online, not only because of who Melanie Linsky is, like as as a person, you know, Adrienne Curry, the uh, America's Next Top Model season one winner. And if you want to talk about toxic female body representation please go to america's next top model so fantastic spokesperson on this and she was like you know she does she this is a body of luxury she doesn't look like a post-apocalyptic leader like really just body shamed the hell at melanie linsky but melanie being the absolute badass that she is just was like i i use my words i have henchmen to be to be muscular like it doesn't need to be me and i was just like exactly like this idea that like just because you're in the apocalypse means that you would just be skinny is insane because bodies don't work that way absolutely i mean what a ridiculous comment for her to make as well we don't know what a post-apocalyptic body looks like yeah we don't know what it looks like i hope we never know but what's really interesting again i'm now bringing the last of us into this is i didn't see any commentary on nick offerman's body in the last of us Right? Because it's all right for guys to be bigger. But Melanie Linsky, just because she's a size 12, I guess that's a size 16 in the UK, the most average size, and she gets this ridicule. And then there's some people going, oh, how would this softly spoken woman be a leader of this rebellion? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, watch her. Look at her. Look at her actions. She's fucking terrifying. And it's just this underestimation. Honestly, and I, I hope Melanie keeps getting these roles where she gets to subvert expectations and prove that, like, you know, it's not the ones who are screaming or shouting or beating people up that are the leaders. It's the it's the people pulling the strings in the background. And they could be any body shape. They can be any gender. You know, just, you know, just because she's a woman who's in a curvier body, she's still a menacing character who should be feared i don't know why that's i don't know why that's like a new thing i don't know why that's even worthy of criticism like it's just nuance it's just character nuance why don't people understand that absolutely i think it's a case of people don't want to see these people as a threat sometimes Mm. they don't want to see like the softly spoken curvy woman as a threat they're used to people like that people like us being sort of beneath them or seen as Mm. beneath them in that sense and they don't like to see that person in power they like to think of those people as safe people people you don't need to worry about people you don't need to see as a threat 
Becky, thank you for that. That is such a fantastic point where we're not a threat. You know, if we're bigger, if we're women, if especially if you're like a softly spoken woman, I do not fall into that camp. That's not one of the nuances I have. <laughs> but if you do, you are uh, underestimated, you are undermined, you're not taken seriously. And I, you know, not only in the Yellow Jacket scenario where <laughs> these women are, you know, tr- just fighting, trying to survive, but or Last of Us post apocalyptic USA, but like, in the office, in the workplace, uh, I'm trying to think, like on social media, like all, all these other avenues, in your home, you might not be seen as someone who is uh, worthy and deserved of respect or dignity or leadership positions because you don't fall into that quote-unquote leadership ideal. But that leadership ideal, Becky, is really masculinized. Absolutely. Is that a word? <laughs> don't know i mean it is but yeah right so i think it's so important for yellow jackets to show what female leadership and female villain villainy and uh, female heroineship what that actually could mean in all these different types of people I love the fact that we don't have such a clear, like you mentioned villainy, mm. don't necessarily have such a clear cut villain in Yellow Jackets. I love that each of the heroines does sort of have their turn in the spotlight as mm. a villain doing oh, something definitely. that the rest of the girls don't agree with. And I like yeah. that it shows it as a more complex character. And it's something that aids in the fact that sort of you mentioned earlier, like the archetypes and the stereotypes of the girls. It's something that makes them feel like more fleshed out characters. Yeah. They're not all good. They're not all bad. Like, I do feel in season one, we get it a little bit less. It does sort of feel like Lottie is placed as the villain. Mm-hmm. Whereas we see in season two more that she's not, she does have a softer side to her. She's not just, you know, away with the fairies in the forest, like trying to murder everyone. We see that it is something yeah. that a lot of the other girls are behind as well and that they support and that they encourage and that they're sometimes at the forefront of, especially Van, like you mentioned as well in season two. I... Again, I definitely underestimated her myself, seeing her. She seemed very quiet as a teenager, very quiet as an adult when we first see her, but she definitely seems to sort of have that ability to pull the strings behind the scenes to get the girls to do what she wants. And I hope it is something we see more in season two because she's such a fascinating character. Mm -hmm. And and played, like, perfectly uh, in, in in both timelines. But, like, to see Lauren Ambrose come in and uh like i feel like she's always been there like she just slotted in so well with the adult characters uh but yeah all of these characters have so many shades of gray and we don't have an out and out villain it's interesting because i guess our out and out villain well it's 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 the outsiders coming in trying to disturb our equilibrium so we had uh, jessica is it jessica roberts the reporter from the first yeah. season yeah. um and which Misty has taken care of. Oh my god, honestly, Misty. Oh, she's so funny. She is so funny the way she talks, just <laughs> casually murdering people. Like, you know, don't, she's fine. She's not coming back. It's all good. Um, and then and then um, you got the the police officers in season two. Um, yeah, like the outsiders who are, who who are who are trying to get to the bottom of this mystery, this twenty plus year mystery. There there are villains. Um, but then when we come to our core group, we give them so much more grace because we understand what they went through. 
we're as an audience given so much more of a window into who these characters are than anyone else in the show because we understand the trauma they've gone through to who they are now um but like you know the police officers don't get that jessica roberts doesn't get that taisa's wife doesn't get that like and you know we see at the end of season one that taisa has sacrificed the family dog and we are led to believe it's so she could win her election for whatever the role is. And that's that's insane. I am in no way, I am in no way advocating for sacrificing cute dogs. But we, as a as an audience, we go, oh, but this kind of makes sense because of what's happened back in 96, yeah. right? But no one else has that level of nuance. So that's why I think we love our characters because we understand them better than any of the other characters yeah absolutely and I think it's interesting like you say like we why the characters are being killed in it like we have a journalist trying to get to the bottom of it we have Mm -hmm. two policemen trying to get to the bottom of it Mm -hmm. it's interesting to sort of take a step back and think that we as viewers are watching it trying to get to the bottom of it we'd also be killed by (gasps) them trying to understand it Oh my god, we so would be because they yeah they kill Adam. I say they. Uh, Shauna kills Adam because she thinks he's trying to understand what happened to her back in the jungle, exactly. the jungle, the forest. So yeah, and we want to do that too. Like I mean, think about the people in the subreddit who are just like going in deep, deep, deep. They'd all be on the hit list. Absolutely. So we, oh my god, and it is like that curiosity kills the cat. Like maybe we should just leave leave well enough alone. <laughs> And like, you're like, watching yellow it's just yeah oh my god that's such a fascinating point of view so i want to now pivot from melanie linsky to the other castings because i think it is so clever that they cast juliette lewis and christina ritchie yes i was so happy to see both of them because they're both in two of my favorite films so as soon as i saw them i was like right well i'm definitely gonna watch this so what are your favorite films so From Dust Till Dawn is one of my absolute mm-hmm. all-time favourite films. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons being Juliette Lewis. It was one yeah. of the first things I ever saw him in. Yeah. And then The Adams Family as well, Christina Ritchie loving it when I was a child. Of course. So seeing both of them in one thing, I thought, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. These are 90s stars, right? So I, mean, yeah. I guess Juliette Lewis can fall into like the late 80s, but like, you know, probably came more into her own into the 90s. Christina Ritchie, 90s through through because of Adam's family. Casper, oh my God, like just, I loved Christina Ritchie as a child. Mm-hmm. And where you've got a film that takes half of, takes place half of it in the 90s, then to bring in these 90s stars into the modern timeline is, I, I just think it's so clever. Yeah. It sort of adds to sort of the nostalgic element of like the film of the TV show. Sorry, yes, like, these sort of nostalgic actors, even though they're not in the past. I think no. it does they like, sort of add to the nostalgic feel of the TV show as a whole. That along yeah. with the same as well, it really like oh. really immerses you into when it's meant to be. Yeah, well, when they had um, the, the like opening the the theme song, the No Return, which is a banger. And then they have one of the episodes he's doing, like Alanis Morissette cover it. Yes. Oh my God, you're so smart. Like it's so well done, like to like really tap into that nostalgia. Um, You know, again, they've, they've gone, you know, anyone could watch this show, but for, you know, teenagers who grew up in the nineties and who are now in the age of like Juliette Lewis, Melanie Linsky, 
of today that is like perfect for them because it's like it's it feels like it's made for that generation just slightly older than myself because I'm 31 now so yeah I was like I was like a baby in the 90s I don't really remember the 90s but I am a 90s child but like if you're a teen this is this was this is the show for you because you've got the soundtrack you've got you've got the actors like say like seeing Christina Ricci like I mean again like I I feel like I hadn't seen her in much recently either and then again what i had seen her in you know she's always the the kind of lead you know definitely gothic i'm thinking like anna's family sleepy hollow definitely gothic vibes but then to see her in this where she is so conniving yeah you know and she looks like she's having a ball she looks like she's having so much fun with this character you know she likes being uh sickly sweet but like happy to murder anyone who comes across her path she fiercely defends her friends even though they do not do the same for her all oh, mistakes so sorry for her watching her all the way through it because i just i just wanted to be included i know i, I know wanted to see her importance <laughs> I, I i do understand that and the thing is like you know that's one of the reasons the reason why they're stuck in the woods for so long is because misty destroys the black box from the plane which you know would have helped the rescue team find them because because she's the first aider of the group she like really springs into action like i mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast she springs into action when everything kind of goes to hell and you know she overhears some of the girls going like oh my god thank god for misty thank god she was here thank god she could react this way and she is just so overjoyed to be like have a role in this new world that she decides she wants to prolong it for as long as possible by destroying the black box. Do you think the adults know that Teen Misty did that? I don't think they did. I'd be surprised if they did because, I mean, look at everything that happened. We don't know when they would have been saved, obviously, with the black box. But everything that's happened that we've seen in season two especially when we really do get into sort of the dark nitty-gritty of what has Mm. been happening in the wilderness i imagine they'd be pretty upset to know that maybe that wouldn't have happened if they'd have had the black box i know but again i don't know whether they would maybe look at themselves and look at why she did what she did Mm. when we do see little flashbacks of how she was treated Mm. before they were in the wilderness and Mm -hmm. i mean that I mean, I don't condone what she did at all, but I can understand how she may be driven to really crave feeling wanted by her peers because it may be the first time that she's felt it. Yeah. And also I would say is she's meant to be, what, 17 years old? We all make mistakes when we're 17. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I watch Yellow Jackets with my husband and one of his sort of complaints about it was saying that he thought it was quite unrealistic that teenage girls would act in the way that they were <laughs> said like no no nah, 100% imagine me and my friends doing some of this stuff when we were teenagers <laughs> like he pointed to the fact that they were sort of still having dances and celebrating and doing teenagery things in the wilderness no no I get that that being that's the most important thing to them they don't yeah. care about butchering deers and going hunting they've got to do it but they don't care about it they're gonna care about still wanting to be teenage girls that's it. They like you. We, we said earlier. Like this, they want some normalcy, normalcy to all this, and like the doomsday prom thing that they do in season one. Like I totally get that because they're just like 
what else are you gonna do just sit and be like you might as well like you know try and keep some kind of like motivation up and then they all like have the um they get spiked misty spikes them right (laughs) i love that (laughs) she didn't mean to she meant to spike like one person (laughs) she spiked ben she was just trying to spite Ben, yeah. like to sort of get him to profess his because she believes that he loves her. <laughs> Misty, Jesus Christ! I mean, I would say, I would say, Coach Ben is a very good-looking man, and so like again, like that casting is really interesting because you you've cast like this younger, um, you know, teacher role. I don't know, maybe he's meant to be like in his early to mid twenties. He's a good-looking guy, teenage students would a hundred percent fancy him and and like you know misty has gone you know full fantasy like he definitely loves me but he knows it's taboo like it's fine we're in the wilderness now laws don't exist and then it's you know coach ben is actually gay and again that nuance of it being in the 90s where that wouldn't have been as openly as accepted as i hope today it is um again like as is nuanced just to talk about coach ben for a second so Coach Ben is the only one who has not participated in any of the cannibalism. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That mm. he's sort of, especially seeing as, like, as you say, he had his leg amputated. We see that he is quite unwell in both yeah. of the seasons as well. It seems like really you would have thought he would be the priority to make sure that he eats something and that he's at, you know, tip-top health. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of the cannibalism, like, to sort of touch on that in the series does sort of err on the side of like psychosexual sort of having sexual and fetishism overtones and I think with him being an adult teacher of these teenage girls I do think that's sort of an element of why he doesn't participate as well he doesn't see the consumption of these girls like that and also the fact like we touch on it as well he is a gay man Mm -hmm. so he's not feasting on these women in front of him Oh, that's a very interesting take. Yeah, because I guess we, we haven't actually spoken about, but like Jackie dies at the end of season one because of exposure. She she runs away because she's so upset that, you know, Sean is pregnant with her boyfriend's baby. Oh, she had, she, I think she had sex with Travis at one point, right? She's like, I need to lose my virginity. And then like... Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, and then she storms out and you know she definitely does that thing where she's like I'm storming out and then they're going to come chase me and they're going to beg me to come back in but they don't and I'm like oh we've all done it we've all left a party hoping someone comes with us you know what I mean like oh I'm not doing this anymore and then you're hoping no Hannah come back like we've all done it we've all been there so Jackie does that and no one no one goes to get Jackie and she dies because it's freezing cold and then it's going in season two we see that Shauna is really struggling to let go of of Jackie but then Tice is like we need to cremate her like this is not healthy to have this dead body of our friend just in the shed um so they they build a pyre for her and they burn her they leave her they leave her to burn but then oh some snow falls down and somehow creates some kind of smokehouse type thing and roasts jackie and the smell entices them 
and they come out and they're like, fuck it. And that scene, Becky, actually makes my stomach turn. Yeah, it, it's a lot. But it's I think a it's, lot. I, it, it's just, I love that it errs on the side of ridiculous, like how they're, like, like you mentioned, like they're lured out by the smell. It's like Looney Tunes, mm. like they're lured <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like smelling the fumes and they're like, they're like floating in the air. <laughs> just how they do that and then cut in between sort of the scene of the feast where it's them yes. like indulging all like, the meats and wines and then each other then cut between them ripping the skin off Jackie's bones. It's it's just so fantastically done. You only see little glimpses of them eating her, but I think that's enough. Oh, it's you enough. You need to see, see it gratuitously. It's almost yeah. more horrifying just seeing it alluded to. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's grim. It's grim. And, but then at the same time, I understand, right? I get it. Like if you, they are starving, and you get like you say that smell—the smell of the cooked meat—and they go out and they like pick her apart. And um, Snacky is what she is referred to on the subreddit, which I think is just <laughs> so funny. That for me is very teenage girl. The fact we've gone, oh, Snacky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, interesting how we can relate to them, and then all, I think that adds to how horrifying it is the fact that we can relate to the fact that they must be starving, they need something to eat. You see it, and then they start hallucinating, they look weak. They like the makeup department and the costuming again, fabulous because you can really see how hungry and tired these girls are, so you can relate to it. And yeah. then also, I think how they do the feast scene, the fact that they look so happy mm. it sort of alludes to the fact that they're enjoying it and I think that's where the horrific element comes from it as well it does sort of toy with the idea that these girls are doing it because they enjoy it and they're yeah. enjoying what's happening oh yeah well and then and then to add to that you've got coach Ben who stays in the cabin and he looks at them with disgust and he shuts the door and then we see I think into the next episode he like he's really like on the brink of some kind of like psychotic break if not already in it because he like really hallucinates he keeps seeing them as these ravenous beasts for lack of a better term but interestingly he's not the only one so like shauna also has that same hallucination that they're like ravenous beasts because she sees them eating her baby scene I'd seen again, like on the subreddits, and discussing what would happen with Shauna's baby. Yeah, I oh know. I really didn't think they'd go there, even no. in just a dream sequence. I thought they're, they're not going to go there, and yeah. I was so shocked. Like, yeah, to see that TV show. Like I've seen things like that in horror films, like really mm. like, dark horror films, but you don't really expect to see it in like a Showtime TV show. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. No they are on. They are pushing the envelope. They really, really are. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why I really like it. Because it's not pushing the envelope in, um, in like I don't know, a male-dominated show like yeah. Mad Men or Breaking Bad. It's no, this is a female-driven show, and it is really pushing the boundaries of what people are comfortable watching. You know, bro- broaching these taboos, broaching like um, cannibalism and and murder cults trauma bonding all that within like a female driven show like that really excites me i'm like yeah that's so cool yeah absolutely 
so I there's an article on Time magazine uh, called The Science of Yellow Jackets. And basically, they spoke to someone who is, I don't even know what, what their, what's their job role? Tell me what their job role is. They are a principal lecturer in archaeology at University of Brighton in England. And they asked him about the cannibalism in the show. So he says, sheer desperation, sorry, this is how the article starts. Sheer desperation is what first pushes the group to cross the line into eating one of their own, which aligns with what we know about the long history of human cannibalism. We've seen cut marks and tooth marks on bones going back about a million years, says James Cole, a principal lecturer in archaeology at the University of Brighton. Eating animals has always been preferable to eating people, in part because humans have less meat on their frames compared to creatures like cows or mammoths. But when animals were scarce, due to disease, weather or competition, people did resort to it, Cole says. Jackie's ostracism from the group before her death may have made the act of eating her easier to sit with emotionally, says Cole, who did not watch the show. So they've obviously told him this is the situation and he's gone, okay, well, this is my evaluation. Quote, because she's no longer seen as an integral member of the group, their empathy is degraded. So much sustenance. So how much sustenance could a human body provide? So he, this guy did a paper which was published in 2017 in the Nature Scientific Reports, um, which explores cannibalism in the Paleolithic times and how many calories would a body produce? So he looks at like the chemical breakdown of the body, what like a Paleolithic person would look like back then. And uh, they said the muscle would contain about 32,000 calories. And then, I know, right? And then you add in organs, skin, marrow, other body parts, and that would increase to around 126,000 calories. Oh, wow. God, they should have done this at the start. That'd have been fine. They'd have been fine. So then they talk about like, okay, well, what about the characters in Yellow Jackets? So a Paleolithic man weighed about 110 pounds. So that's like that 126,000 calories against 110 pounds. And then the average weight of a 17-year-old girl during the Yellow Jackets universe, which is in the 90s, is around 137 pounds, according to the CDC. However, they have been starved. Uh, so they have probably had a bit of weight loss, but weight loss can depend person to person because of metabolic factors, which is why Adrienne Curry from America's Sex Top Model, you cannot say whether Melanie Linsky would be a thinner person in a post-apocalyptic world because all bodies are different. It says so here. <laughs> so some data on formerly healthy hunger strikers suggests that severe medical issues begin when about 18% of body weight has been lost. So though some yellow jackets have surely crossed that line, using this approximation takes them to around £112 each. Therefore, the average yellow jacket would yield around 128,000 edible calories. But Travis and Coach Ben, because they're like more grown up men, they could get around 160,000 calories. They, 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 they could be getting some more calories, but then when you split it amongst however many there are left, I think that the 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 article goes on to say they could survive like three months because they go like, oh well, they could maybe like have eight hundred calories a day, but with how many kids they've got, they're like, oh, it'd be like three months. So obviously something must happen. Obviously summer is different. 
the snow will thaw, the animals will come out of hibernation. They could eat animals into the spring, summer and autumn, but then maybe back into the next winter, they'll go back to killing people. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'd never, I'd not read that. I'd not mm. looked into it. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate who wrote this. I mean, like, let's credit this. Let's credit this uh, author because what a well thought out article. Like, I love how someone went. But really, how could this work? <laughs> it's interesting because it does show like it it could work. I think that is sometimes yeah. argument with things like this. Like, oh, it doesn't seem realistic. They wouldn't do that. They couldn't do this. They couldn't survive when. You think about how many there are that they can kill and could eat, including like Coach Ben and people like that that are mm. slightly bigger as well because of being, pardon me, an adult man. Mm-hmm. It is, it's feasible considering, like, say, they could last three months doing that. That's the three months of winter, then the animals will start coming out, providing they don't kill Nat, they've still got a hunter. Well, Nat and Travis. Mm. So, so the author of this article is Haley Vice. So, thank you, Haley, for like going into that level of detail. That is much appreciated. But you're right. The other thing I wanted to bring up was, um, like how the different uh characters have thrived since since the wilderness. So you've got uh, Taisa, who's obviously a leader within within the the wilderness and then she's become some kind of politician in real life so she's kind of like kept that leadership skill going you have uh misty who is like you know the first stage or the carer in the wilderness and she is a carer in real life and you have um who is who else am i missing lottie lottie is like kind of like the a leader absolutely but also like the spiritual leader in the wilderness and she seems to be a spiritual leader in the modern day as well but the three characters who are not doing as well are Travis, who has addiction issues, um, Nat has addiction issues, and Shauna is kind of like in a dead-end arrested development phase. But they have roles in the wilderness that might not be able to transcend into like modern-day life. So with Travis and Nat, they were the hunters. And maybe like that, that skill set, that role doesn't really exist in modern-day life anymore. And same with Shauna. She she was the butcher. She was, you know, the 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 animal prep person. And maybe she found that hard to like trans translate that into modern day life as well. Which is why maybe those three characters really struggle in the modern day. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't really thought about it like that. The fact that sort of their skills don't transcend into the modern world. The way I'd sort of seen it is sort mm. of amusing on how leadership affects different people some people can step Mm. up to the plate and some people can't necessarily Mm -hmm. and it does seem especially in season two that what is happening with the girls with the cannibalism how Mm -hmm. sort of leadership is breaking down it does seem to be really affecting Nat and Travis in that they're not okay with it they're not happy with it they don't like what's going on they just want to be out of there they want to be out of the situation Mm -hmm. which is why I found it more surprising with Shauna because it really seems like she's come into her own in the wilderness like we see her beforehand she doesn't really speak much she just sort of agrees with Jackie and she does that when they're first in the wilderness but as soon as Jackie dies we sort Mm -hmm. of see who Shauna is which is a lot more powerful person a lot more decisive I mean she really does seem to step up to the leadership plate which is why I find it quite surprising when as an adult she does seem very sort of lost, not really sure what she wants, yeah. what she wants to do, other than chasing that high. So I'll be interested to see what happened in that interim that, that caused that. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And kind of on the end of season two, we see that Nat has encouraged Coach Ben to leave. He is not safe at the at the cabin anymore. Like he is next on the we're gonna kill you list and eat you. And so I appreciate Nat like kind of like protecting protecting Coach Ben. Um but we see that Lottie no longer wants to be the antler queen and that she wants to hand it over to someone like this kind of beacon this leadership role she wants to hand over to someone else and she hands it to nat because she survived the chase she said well the wilderness well the wilderness chose you for a reason you must be the new antler queen and like the other girls like mari and the one who wears the back the backwards cap just on that note I really appreciate that girl's commitment to the '90s fashion. She's like, "I'm going to keep this cap on until they rip, <laughs> until they rip it away and like put it into the belt soup." And I love that for her. Yeah, so they say like, "Yep, yeah, okay." You know, they bow, they cart like everyone goes up and bows. You know, Mitzi, uh, Missy does this a really elaborate curtsy, I think, from memory, um, to like give their allegiance to the new antler queen and Nat. Shauna devastated. She is not the new mm. Antler Queen. Yeah, it's really interesting because it did. It seemed like she she felt herself like she'd overcome the most. Yes, to take on that role, and she had really been carrying the group in making decisions, cutting up the meat, making sure they can eat despite Nat hunting. But Nat should have been dead. Seemed yeah. like how she saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- could be something that comes into the next season sort of the power struggle between them because it's not something we really see between them as adults they seem to be on the same wavelength the most definitely definitely and i think that's why that like the final um you know the wilderness has chosen shauna sequence is so interesting because no one no one is like a voice of reason they all just fall into like old habits and yeah. Like, yeah, well, we're gonna have to kill you. It doesn't matter if we've known you for twenty years. We've survived everything. We survived. Nah, that the wilderness has chosen you, and that—that's it. They have all got this equal power here. And I wonder, like, say if say if Shauna wasn't the one that got picked, and say it was Misty, or say it was Van, would they have still have chased those characters, or is it is there something where like Shauna might have been? She she might have been the voice of reason if if one of the other characters got chosen because she's pleading go like we're not really doing this are we no no we're not, we're not doing this and then I think Lottie goes you know the case you can either stand there or you can run we'll give you the we'll give you the choice and I think Shauna Shauna's like no no we're not no gonna kill me and I'm like no baby they're gonna kill you and not only that we obviously Callie has to come to her defense her seventeen year old daughter is the one who saves her is she seventeen. Oh, the kid's 17. Doesn't matter. Teenage daughter saves her. And then in some awful kind of like twist of fate, um, that the other like young girl who's part of the cult comes forward and she's trying to defend and Misty goes to like attack and Nat gets in the way and Nat gets stabbed by the, I don't know, the, the poison. I don't know what it is. And Nat dies. Juliette Lewis's character dies at the end of season two. And I did not see that coming. No, not at all. But I had heard that Juliette Lewis wasn't happy on set. She wasn't happy with the character of like adult Nat. So I think it makes sense that she is the one to to drop out. Yeah. 
It's such That's a shame. I wanted to see more for her. I wanted to yeah. see her sort of overcome everything. I she know. Because again, she she is a strong character, but we sort of led to believe it sort of points to the way that she's not. It sort of takes away from her through her addiction issues. And I think it's quite an unfair representation of the character. Yeah. I, I don't. It was weak and it felt yes. very unfair. I don't like adult Nat. If I'm honest, and this is controversial, I don't think she's a good character and I don't like Juliette Lewis's performance in it. Um, that's not She's not a bad actress. Juliette Lewis, she's proven herself time and time again. There's something in this, though, where she's so passive in season two, like, um, to the point where, like, it's really frustrating. Like, there's just nothing. She doesn't really make any decisions. She just goes along with everything. So from a, from a hard dying point of view, I'm like, oh, okay. I get it. I didn't see it coming because I thought I thought they were all in it for the ride, but obviously not. Yeah, it is. It, it was a shock, but knowing what happened behind the scenes, knowing that like that character felt like it, I don't know. It kind of felt like they didn't know where to go with it, and like you say, like her addiction issues plays into this idea of like, oh well, she can't think for herself. She can't make decisions. She's all you know. She has to be like Molly coddled to a certain extent. Like Misty feels like really responsible for Nat's behavior her outcomes where like you know she's an adult you know she she can make her own decisions but the show doesn't let her do that yeah it 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 just felt sort of like a wasted opportunity like I, mm. I agree in season two like I, I really like her as a character but I think it is because I quite like her as the younger character and I like sort of the more the more sort of troubled character it is yeah interesting. like her relationship with Travis I find really interesting yeah want to know more about what happened with that but I did mm-hmm. I did feel sort of disappointed with season two for the same reasons. Like she just seemed, I, I questioned a lot of her decisions in it that didn't seem to really make sense. Yeah. As to who we'd been led to believe she was. And yeah. she did seem very passive and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the characters that do sort of have control over her, like you say, like Miss, like Misty, sort of being responsible for her. It just, it sort of doesn't feel genuine. Mm-hmm. So it was a shame to sit, to see that character go that way. Yeah, agreed. But like you say, I really love young Nat. I think Sophie Thatcher is phenomenal. She's so good. Um, and I I mean, her Juliet Lewis impression is spot on. <laughs> like that huskiness she can get in her voice is really, really good. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm so thankful that we know she survives, that we know that we're still going to have seasons of young Nat. I, I so it's one of those things like I'm gutted adult Nat is gone, but we know young Nat will stay for the rest of the show. So that's that's really cool. Um, okay, so the other thing, where's my notes? Let me just go to my notes. So we've spoken about the themes of, of cannibalism. Like, is there anything else you want to talk about, like cannibalism or friendship or like girlhood? Like we spoke a lot about like teenage girls and like how we can really relate to those things. So so touch on the cannibalism thing and sort of yes. touch on the girlhood thing with it as Please. well. I do think it's very interesting in Yellow Jacket, sort of like the queer-coded cannibalism between Jackie and between Shauna, and it does seem like a real pivotal moment, both in the plot because it's how we're introduced to the cannibalism, but also to Shauna. Like there's a very interesting scene when she's talking to sort of ghost Jackie. I don't really know what it is, like a figment of her imagination when Jackie's berating her about sleeping with Jeff and she says something along the lines of oh you've only slept with Jeff so you can imagine being me but also imagine being with me 
But then obviously this is a figment of her imagination. It's like her admitting this to herself. Mm. And then shortly afterwards, like a piece of her ear breaks off and she's the first person to indulge in cannibalism, eating Jackie. And it's almost seen as, it is seen as sort of disgusting in the show, but it seems like after that conversation, it's a way of bringing them closer together and it is quite an intimate act. And I thought it was something that was so fascinating in the show because it's something that we've seen in film quite a lot, like queer-coded cannibalism and cannibalism as a representation of queer desire. But it's not something we've really seen in TV that much, especially of our heroes doing that. They are our heroines in the TV show. We follow these girls. We follow their narrative. We're aligned with them. And then we're aligned by them choosing to do these things that are seen as grotesque. But then especially in the feast scene, when it's seen as them really opulent really enjoyable it's it's very interesting to have cannibalism placed in that sense rather than as something solely disgusting but i think it is also sort of it's a sign of the times as well we've had a lot of films have been like that recently like fresh like raw and like bones and all as well where cannibalism is seen as more of a fetishism and almost something romantic in like bones and all obviously the title comes from an act in the film where you completely consume that person, bones and all, and they become a part of you. And I think it's really interesting that sort of Yellow Jackets went down that road as well, especially in, like we say, like a TV show, such a widely watched TV show, award-winning TV show that reaches so many people, not demonising something that is still obviously such a taboo, something that we know happens. But, I mean, I, I don't know too much about it in the real world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are famous serial killers who can cannibalize their victims. Uh, famous uh, internet stories of people seeking out other people to eat. But yeah, it is an absolute taboo. But just on, on you're saying about the, the queer coded cannibalism. Am I right in thinking when they have, when they're eating snacky and they have the, the Roman inspired feast in, it interjected with those scenes are van and taisa feeding each other yes i thought that as well i rewatched this scene recently because mm-hmm. obviously it cuts very quickly between it, it does it did very much seem like that and that's sort of another yeah. thing that sort of adds to the sort of whole enjoyment of it and like psychosexual uh-huh. links between the consuming of a person yeah to like the sexual element of it as well it's sort of yeah. put on the same sort of wavelength of that yeah. Sort of like there's a massive focus of losing virginity in the first season, and it very much feels like the same importance is put on eating their first human. Yeah. Oh, oh, and and for 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 most of the cast, most of the cast of characters, it is their first bite of a human, but it's not Shauna's, and Shauna yeah. famously is the only non-virgin going into the wilderness because she's pregnant. Absolutely. And she's the one that sort of initiates everyone else going into it as well. Sort of like, you know, it's what you would have wanted. Yes, it's what she... Oh, my God. Oh, you are on to something with that. Yes. Oh, my God. But you're right. And, and there really is... Because I did find an article. Did I Did I save it? Probably not. But I did find an article about the rise of cannibalism in, in pop culture, like you say, because of Fresh yeah. Bones and all um, this. And um, what they said is, like, uh, it's we kind of go through trends um, within culture where we start addressing more taboo stuff. Um, So they mentioned like Game of Thrones really addressing like incest 
and that has now meant that we are like in this like weird like moment where like incest porn is incredibly incredibly popular um and the same with like now we're kind of going to this phase of like cannibalism as a taboo and like how that's being addressed more and more in media but they said everyone's interpretation of cannibalism is different um so they brought up i will have to find the article i'm just remembering off the top of my head right now uh dawn of the dead george a romero's dawn of the dead and his interpretation of cannibalism was consumerism um but then like you say you bring up fresh and their interpretation of cannibalism is like how men um consume women for their own enjoyment but then also like the class structure like um sebastian stan's character is selling these women to like people mainly men who are so wealthy they can do whatever they want and this is like almost like the taboo that they can pay to do um and and so there's like that's like another version of cannibalism where that might not fit into yellow jacks jackets interpretation of cannibalism but it's it actually shows you how versatile this trope is and the different readings but to your point i guess fresh does show it because you see um uh, Daisy's character, she she foes enjoyment of eating um, the meals that Sebastian cooks for her, but it's to get the upper hand. Whereas in Yellow Jackets, like you're saying, they're really not shying away from the enjoyment of this. And even on that, when they when they decide, well, when Nat pulls the the Queen card in, in she gets chased. They're like enjoying the hunt. And then if we take um, season one, episode one, the opening of Pit Girl, they obviously, like, that that in, that hunt becomes part of their ritual and part of, like, the, the, the pageantry of this process that they've established in the wilderness. And so there's enjoyment in that. There's obviously enjoyment with how, how they're, like, disassociating from, from this. Uh, there's also a sense of um obviously we have to do it for survival, but when when they decide they're gonna they need to one of them has to sacrifice themselves, it's because Lottie is like on the brink of death, right? She's like, I'm you know, she's gonna go. And she says to Misty, do not waste my body. And Misty interprets that to say that like well Lottie's not the one who can die but someone else needs to so Lottie's on this pedestal where they can't Mm -hmm. lose Lottie so one of you lesser (laughs) lesser girls are gonna have to get it going back to girlhood for a second and we talk about or friendships and dynamics there's a real sense of like a popularity contest going on in the wilderness now when you're at school like, were you a popular girl or were you like a bit of an in-betweener? Like, where were you? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> One of the weird goth kids sitting on the table <laughs> with the other weird goth kids. Like, yeah, definitely not. I wouldn't say we necessarily felt like to, we were just sort of there. I wouldn't say popular or unpopular. Maybe, maybe that's me misinterpreting how school was, but we were just yeah. sort of there. But it was something, again, like speaking to my husband about it when he said it was unrealistic. He thought it was unrealistic, the sort of like cattiness that was still going on. But I'd say, Baby. like, no, you can be no. going through all sorts as a teenage girl and cattiness will still continue. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing that I think really adds to the horror of Yellow Jack. It's the horror of being a teenage girl. Yeah. 
seeing Misty how she was left out, like I really felt for her because I think a lot of us have been through that, that finding out, oh, your friends have planned this and you've not been invited or the prank calls she's getting or the things that people say to her about are not mattering. I think a lot of people have gone through that and sort of not feeling othered by rumours that go around about her. Yes. Horrible to see these things and knowing either yourself or other people that have gone through it. It's just horrible to be brought back to the absolute horror that is high school. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting. Um, I was an in-betweener, by the way. Like, that was my group. I was, like, right in the middle of the pack. It was a group of, like, I don't know, six of us. Weren't popular. Weren't, weren't unpopular. Slap bang in the middle. Um, but in, in in this dynamic, yeah, they're all, they're all together because of football. But they obviously all have, like, cliques outside of the football team. And I think it's interesting that Nat is the one that is chosen where she is so obviously the other one of the group. Like, if you were to give me a lineup of these girls and you had to go like, okay, Hannah, like, which one of these is not the football player? I'd pick Nat. Yeah. Right? Because she doesn't look like the you know stereotypical sporty athletic side. You know, she's she's the emo kid. So I think it's interesting that she is the one that is picked to to be to be consumed and you know has a lot of fight in her, manages to get away, and because of that, they view her as more valuable because she managed to escape her fate and therefore is given you're the most popular girl award. You know? Here's here's your literal like homecoming crown prom queen thing where like that would never normally happen usually that that girl wouldn't win that i think it's interesting to say like you said earlier about shauna being upset about it she was very much jackie's like protege jackie's yes her being like her so it could come into that sort of well jackie's not here now i'm jackie i should be in charge sort of thing her not wanting social dynamics the high school social dynamics to be disrupted Mm -hmm. oh definitely she was she was like second in command and then it's interesting because then Thaisa's really stepped into like second in command. But Thaisa and Shauna are really close. So there's like all these like alliances going on um in the wilderness. But then when we get to adult the adult characters, those alliances aren't as strong. It's more like as a group, they're pretty strong. Yeah, it's interesting that is. Like again, we don't really know too much of what has gone on yes. between when they were teenage to when they were adults to what has happened. It sort of feels like they've sort of drifted, but there wasn't a falling out. It feels like the sort mm-hmm. of typical, oh, you know, you get older, life gets in the way, you're not really friends as much anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I mean that 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 that's natural, that totally happens. But where this show is so built on trauma bonding. Yeah. They've taken it one step further and going like, okay, yeah, maybe Tyson and Shauna don't talk as much as they did when they were in the wilderness. But if Shauna murders someone, Tyson will be there. Yeah, it's it's strange. It almost part of me feels like they've decided not to speak to each other as much for <gasps> mm. the idea of keeping their secrets, whatever these secrets are. Yes. Secret. Secret. Like it's a deliberate thing. But there is also sort of like a call to arms if they need it. Yeah. I'm interested to know why. <laughs> why? Oh, yes. Right. We are probably hitting the two hour mark at this point. So I want to start wrapping things up, if that's okay. But before yeah. we do, I want to ask you what are your theories for what's to come? Oh, I'm, 
see a lot of my theories have died with Nat dying. Oh, <laughs> happened with her. So mm-hmm. I, I'm still, I'm still not convinced Travis killed himself. But I don't, I don't care what we've seen in season two. I'm still yeah. not convinced. No. I still think something strange is going on. I want to know what this strange thing is, and I feel like a lot of it sort of lay with them in their relationship. Mm. But then obviously, you no, know, but both of them have gone. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm interested to know what is going on with the symbol. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think it's something supernatural. I do think it's something the girls have done, and it's a subsection of... I feel like they're definitely going to break up at some point, the group of the girls. I, I don't think they're all going to stay together, and it's all going to stay. The happy hierarchy it is. I feel like that's going to disband at some point. And there's definitely other yellow jackets that have survived, and that mm. is something to do with that. Yes, I think there's definitely going to be more survivors. I think Coach Ben survives. Same. Yeah, that's my big, he's got to come back. Um, it's too obvious that he would die because of the state that he's in. I know, he that's, and this show's been so good at subverting expectations. I think he has to be alive because he's he's obviously the one that was meant to die. You know, he was meant to die. Um, I think um, Callie is going to get super creepy in the next few seasons. And I think she's going to be like, I don't know, like become more obsessed with the wilderness in a way. Um, Maybe like start like suggesting that more sacrifices need to happen. Maybe she starts sacrificing things. Maybe she starts murdering people. And Shauna has to help her this time. Like, I think there's something there, like some more trauma bonding going on. Um, And I think, and I alluded to it earlier, I think Van's cancer will be cured. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, with with what had happened at the end of season two, yeah. it stands to reason something like that will happen. Yeah. One of the I, I, watching it is convinced that there will be more cannibalism in it in the modern <gasps> day, that there will oh? be still doing it, and that's why Travis is dead. I didn't even think about the fact that yeah. there be more cannibalism. Yeah, my friends are thinking... We, we got onto it talking about um, The Last of Us, actually, talking mm. about like the different subsections in that. And someone mm-hmm. said they think something similar will happen in Yellow Jackets, where there's a subsection of the survivors that are still doing it, but they've not got away from what's happening. And that's why Travis is dead. They'd killed him in a ritualistic sacrifice. <gasps> so, it's interesting you say, because that, that comes back to like, the theories that are surrounding season one, because I think people thought that's what Lottie would still be doing. But then when we actually... Then, that, season two kind of ruins that but maybe that's that theory still exists it's just not to do with lottie it's to do with someone else we don't know still alive maybe it's coach ben maybe i I feel like he's going to be tucked away in a home somewhere <laughs> knowing oh, more than yeah what, what we think he does yeah it will be interesting ah uh, so becky we've spoken a lot about yellow jackets it's such a fantastic show i fucking love it and i'm very excited whenever it comes back but I support the strikes. Take all the time you need. <laughs> get what you need to get paid. So, at the end of a Fats on Film episode, we like to rate the film. Uh, I was going to say the films, but it's a TV show. So, we rate the TV show based on how well we believe they represent fat bodies. And we rate them out of ourselves. So, out of a five potential Beckys, what would you give Yellow Jackets for fat representation? As much as I love the show, I'd probably have to only go like a maybe a one, just because of just mm-hmm. how 
scurvy Shauna, we do not have much fat representation, if any, uh-huh. in yellow jackets. Uh-huh. It is mostly very like average size women to petite women. We don't really have fat uh-huh. representation in the show, and it's something I would like to see more of. Yeah. Uh, I, I I completely echo you, Becky, because I'm a one Hannah. I agree. Millie Linsky is not a fat person. She's no. not a fat person as much as as much as everyone keeps trying to tell us she is. She isn't. Um, I'm very glad her her body exists, and I'm glad that she uh, has this role, and she's allowed to exist in a normal body within it, and she's still sexy and she's still powerful. All those amazing amazing qualities, but she's not fat and there are then no fat characters oh i guess you have like jeff's mate who's a bit of a bigger person but he's like a bumbling idiot so that's that's not a good representation is it exactly it's not the representation it's (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah it's it's a great show but it could do better for body representation absolutely like you say i love that melanie linsky gets this role and especially that coming from it from a mother's perspective i love like seeing yes. a body on screen being sexualized as you know being a mother who has a sex life a mother who can be a strong character but as a fat woman yeah. i don't get that mm. from the character and i do find it crazy that like you say we all keep being told that you know this is the fat character in the show and it, it's not <laughs> and yeah. it's a disservice no. to representation in the show yeah exactly exactly so who knows it was, i mean we know it's got five seasons or at least they've planned for five seasons so it has another three seasons to sort this out so who knows maybe we come back again whenever a season three comes out and we can evaluate the scores <laughs> no, so okay cool so thank you so much becky for joining us today on fats and film can you please let me and the listeners know where they can find you and more of your work? Absolutely. So firstly, thank you for having me. Um, you can find me over on Twitter at BLSouthRights. You can read all of my work on, as you said earlier, Girls Magazine, Moving Pictures Film Club and Film Hounds Magazine. You can find my email on my Twitter where you can get in touch with me for freelance work. I cover everything entertainment and seo wise particularly in the world of horror oh awesome thank you so much becky analysts can find the podcast at fats on film on twitter and instagram and they can find me at queen b says on twitter instagram and tiktok thank you so much for listening everyone and we'll see you in the next one and remember to stay fat 